RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in, links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. Let's take a minute here and envision a world without limits. Some would call it no limits. Guys, welcome to this episode of the podcast, Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We have J.C. Bosch from No Limits Kennels. And we're it's a fired. world I want to live in. It's a world we want to be in. Now, Kevin would miss every duck in that limit, but we'll get his because there's no limits. JC, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you, fellas. Proud to be here. Yeah, fired up. Dude, tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself. Give us a, a quick rundown, buddy. So I'm JC Bosch. I own and mostly operate No Limits Kennels here in central Kansas. Um, We've been around, oh, about four or five years. Not a long time. Um, but, yeah, we're here in central Kansas, uh, just outside of Great Bend. Um, full-time dog training kennel. We specialize in the versatile breeds. Um, it's a lot of what we hunt as well, just uh, ducks, geese, pheasants, quail, a little bit of everything. That's pretty awesome, man. You got a favorite that you like to hunt or guide, I guess, Woo-hoo. or both? I Man, I really don't. I love. I honestly love both sides of it. I mean, that's that's why I'm into the into the versatile dogs. Is I love, I love both sides. If you had to, if someone told me I had to pick something to hunt for the rest of my life, maybe uh, nope. 
I couldn't couldn't do it. <laughs> I feel you, dude. I'll tell you, that's kind of how I feel. I'm 90% retriever training, but that 10% of the pointing dogs is almost like a little break for me. You know, it's a little bit of a change of pace. And so I can feel you on the versatile side where, you know, if you only guided quail and pheasant, you might get burnt out. But that little bit of goose and duck, you know, it just spices it up. And so I'm I'm the same. I, I love working the pointing dogs because it's a little bit of a break from the 15 or 20 retrievers that we've got. It's pretty cool what you got set up. Yeah. No, and I – that's that's exactly how I feel about it. And there's like, oh, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the best at anything, you know. It's and it's kind of like my our short hairs and these versatile dogs, you know. They're not the best pointing dogs, and they're not the best retrieving dogs. Um, there's there's arguments to be made there, but you know, if you're talking about you took the best of the best, they're, you know, my my short hairs are kind of kind of mimic. I feel like they mimic me in a lot of ways. They're just tall lanky love to <laughs> love to run and eat and have have a good time very good no i get you i mean if if I, we talked about this a little bit with uh Darrell from the gun dog notebook podcast and um you know if you want a strict pointing dog you know a setter and an english pointer man, they're, they're lights out, but you're not taking generally 95% of them aren't going to go duck hunting and aren't going to go goose hunting. And, you know, that's what they do and that's what they're great at, but a yeah. short, and then, you know, they probably would outpoint most short hairs and Britney's and all the other, you know, Drathars and all that great, uh, great stuff. But yeah, you're right. They're, they're extremely good at many different tasks. Exactly. Some might call that yeah. versatile. <laughs> we might as well trademark that right now oh man so so tell us a little bit about how you got into the game i want to know actually let's break this down a little further jc tell us about your first dog well i got a i got my first my first dog was not a hunting dog whatsoever. My first dog was like a rat terrier, Akita or something like that mix. And there might've been five other dogs mixed in there too. Um, that was my, my first dog. I got her when I was 12. Um, what was her name? Allie. Um, and I just kind of trained her. I, she was supposed to be a family dog and I just kind of took the dog over. I don't know if anybody else has ever done that, but. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, the the my family my my mom brought her home and said this is a family dog, but I uh, I took over all the tasks of taking care of her and working with her and taking her on walks and runs and anything else we could get our hands into. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where the you know the training side of things started. I was intrigued by by that particular dog and just how how intelligent dogs were and that kind of stuff. And I, I delved, delved right into, uh, you know, like Caesar Milan, that old TV show he had. Oh yeah. Um, listened to a lot of Robert Cabral's videos. 
he's he's got a lot of great content great dog trainers i just tried to absorb as much content as i could um and just loved it um didn't really know grew up hunting and i grew up with dogs but those two those two worlds never really mixed um out here we had you know just the family friends they'd bring out dogs that i i would never hunt with now (laughs) um and so there was just no use for i didn't see the value in a hunting dog i guess um they'd never really contributed to our hunt from what i could see and i had no idea you know the difference between well-bred and uh just a random mutt when did Um, that change for you when when was the what like when did the light bulb go off what was the aha moment where it was like that's a nice dog. I want one like that. Well, I, uh, I went to school, um, for power te- electrical power technology. I went to school for that. I got out of there. I became an electrical, uh, a lineman, um, did that for several years and I actually had some money. So, uh, you know, researching dogs all the time, learning about dogs all the time. I had a couple other other dogs mixed in there, you know, just that I bought or adopted, whatever. Um, but yeah, after I started making money as a, as a lineman and had a, had a good paying job, I was like, you know what, I'm going to actually get a well-bred, nice hunting dog. So I did about a year's worth of research, got on a list, waited six months, nine months, something like that, you know, waited for the right one to come along bought this little mail from uh, my buddy up in Iowa now, uh, made really good friends with my, my breeder up there, um, that I bought my first dog cash from and, uh, dove into this thing head first. Like I had no idea that there was a, uh, there was a market for gun dog training or if, if I'd have known I could be a dog trainer and make any amount of money at it or enough to eat, and not starve to death, I would have done it 10, 10, 15 years ago. Absolutely. Um, but you know, just, uh, helping, helping random people throughout my community, just helping them with their dogs training and stuff like that. I, I did that because it was fun for me. You know, the psychology never hit that, Hey, I could do this and have people pay me for it. Like people are willing to send me dogs and pay me to do this. Um, that didn't hit until I had, you know, several bird dogs. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, uh, the, the long and the short of that. That's cool. So, so the dog's name was cash. Yes, sir. Is cash still around? He is. Nice. He is. Um, he's around. We've got, a. I think we have eight, eight or nine short hairs now. Very good. Talk to me about Cash. What made him special to you and and maybe like a memorable hunt? So what I what I was originally looking for, I was when I was looking for a dog, I was going through breeds. And uh I knew that I wanted wanted a retrieving dog. That's all I really knew. I thought, you know what, I go out opening day of upland season. I, you know, wasn't super into it. All I knew is I go out dove hunting and teal hunting every, every season for, you know, most of my life. So I was like, I just wanted a good, nice, 
house dog that can hang out with me, but that can all that's also well bred and can retrieve my dove and and my teal. Um, past that, I was a, very much a fair weather hunter. Um, so after I got cash, I kind of got into the NAVDA, NAVDA world. Um, my breeder kind of put me onto that and he's like, Hey, you should try this natural abilities test and that kind of thing. So I, uh, I went to a training weekend and after that training weekend, everything clicked for me. Like it all, I, I seen a lot of professionals there and I'm just sitting there like, I can do that. I can do that too. Like, and everybody says that and sometimes you're crazy for thinking that way, but it's like, I've, I've been training dogs for a long time now. Um, I, this is awesome. You know, I saw, I saw these versatile dogs making retrieves of ducks, you know, they're out on a 30, 45 minute duck search and they come back with a duck, you know, swing into a beautiful heel, retrieve that thing to hand, like after that weekend and then watching, you know, the steadiness in the field, like it was all over like that. That's pretty much when I made the decision, like I am going to start making moves to start doing this Good now for you. between now, between then and now I have, uh, I have screwed up and had to fix my own dogs dozens of times. You know, I've, uh, I'm one of those guys that learns from uh, trial by error or massive failure. <laughs> so when I had a uh, when I had cash, I mean, we went to our first junior hunt test and we failed the first two, like right out of the gate. I'm like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me! Um, a junior hunt, and looking back at it now, I was like, how in the world can you fail this thing? But you know, most of it was all all handler error. It was all on on me. Like, uh, okay, the dog obviously can pass a junior hunt test. I've just got to calm myself down and fire my blank pistol. Sure. Dude, I think, but, uh, you know, if I could slow you down there for a second, I, I, for the listeners, I think that's a huge life lesson to learn and to listen and understand what you just said. You know, we all don't pass. We all have high points and low points and you work through it. You learn from your mistakes and, you know, a lot of us, I feel like, are lucky to get a dog that can handle mistakes. Yes. You know, and, and I remember my first dog, his name was Buck. And, you know, the things that we did back then, I don't do now, or maybe I should do a little bit more now and that I don't do as much of. But the kicker was that dog rolled with the punches. He learned with me, and I learned from him. And, uh, I don't, I mean, I bet if I had to guess, I bet we failed a junior hunt test in the retriever world. And I know we failed senior tests and I know we failed the master test. And I mean, failed the, his first and only <laughs> master test I ran. Good Lord. I walked away with my, my tail between my legs and Buck's tail was wagging like, Thank you, sir. You know, we just had a blast. I just ran that whole field. I found got to play around. There's yeah. some birds out he there. We had a great the, time. He gave me a middle finger. So, I mean, we all fail, but it's how you come back from it. It's that old adage, you get off the horse, you know, get kicked off the horse, get back on, and we all learn how to get better from making mistakes. So, 
you know, right to your point of you learn through your mistakes, that's everybody. And that's what everybody should take away from your comment. You know, okay, pick, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, keep your cool, keep your patience and train harder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, to your point, everybody just kind of sees the, the accolades and the, the tip of the iceberg now. Um, and you know, maybe they don't realize the, the journey to get there. Um, and that's my favorite thing about all of this is, you know, the, the journey to get, um, from where we were to where we are. And then, you know, from where we are to where we're, we're going, um, everybody sees, they don't see all of the, the failure and the, the rejections and the, the work and the sweat, the sweat, the blood, the tears, you know, they don't see all of that. And they, they want, you know, that just what's at the tip of the iceberg, but it seems like there's more and more people coming through that just, uh, don't have as much appreciation for the struggle. Sure. The struggle and the process. So I look at it like you got to enjoy the ride. Yeah. You got to enjoy the ride. You got to enjoy the process. The other thing I equated to, I, I don't know who I was telling the other day, but like, dude, one of my favorite things, and I know this is crazy, but I love landscaping and mowing the lawn because it's one of those <laughs> tasks. It's like you, you, you don't feel like doing it maybe. And you're like, ah, oh, I got to do it. And then you <laughs> do it and you step back and it's like, boy, it looks really nice. I'm glad I did it. Oh, I love doing it. And I'm really proud of like how it looks at the end. And that dog, when you get it in training or you get that puppy and it's like not every day is perfect and not, it's not, it's not a smooth process. There's no dog out there. That's a smooth process. They're going to have good days and bad days. They're going to go through ups and downs. You might have a bad month, but then you work through that month and you're like, holy cow, it got it. And you can look back and say, look at what we've done. And it's like that, you know, the lawn analogy you look back at that lawn that you didn't feel like cutting and you're like well it looks great now all right cool <laughs> yeah we've got a we've got a thing around here with you know uh, brandon corbin and you know the whole team out here they if they see me mowing the lawn and i mow the lawn uh once or twice a week maybe more um they know that it's uh jc's a little bit overwhelmed or there's too many people calling and he just Tune the world out, turned his music on, and started mowing. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. But anyways, I, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, so I, I still, I want to dive into Cash a little bit. Talk to me about... Um, you got any good hunting stories yeah, with Cash? Yeah, tell, tell us about, like, your favorite, your number one favorite hunt that you can remember from that dog. Uh, so... So like I said, I, I kind of love the struggle. So we had a, I had some guys out, out here and I don't know if I was necessarily guiding them. We were just, it was just some buddies from Iowa. We, they come out and we, we were hunting. Um, we jump shot this, this sand pit, um, shot a handful of redheads, you know, like just, a, just a few, three, four redheads. Anyway, i I go back to the truck, grab cash. And I'm like, yeah, we'll just send him through this freezing cold water in the sand pit and have him make these retrieves. 
for whatever reason, he decided he did not want to make those retrieves. Like he was just not going to do it. There was no, there's nothing I could say to get him to make a retrieve that day. He just, and I have these buddies here, you know, and they're, they know cash and like, Oh man, we get to hunt with cash. He's awesome. This is great. And, uh, yeah, he, he really shit the bed that day. (laughs) Um, so that, that same day I, I put him back in the truck, buddy grabs his dog, um, grabs his dog. He makes these, these duck retrieves out of this freezing cold water. I mean, it's freezing cold. I mean, there's a thin layer of ice on the top. We broke it off and Anyway, his dog made these retrieves, and I'm just, I'm mad at my dog. I am very, very upset with my cash dog, like, to the point of, like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Like, I kind of want to beat the crap out of him. I, I don't know. I'm just put him back in the truck, and let's go. Um, so, same day, we're out in the afternoon. We go pheasant hunting. Um, there's, like, oh, five, six dogs in the field. Um this this rooster flies the whole line of you know four guys um everybody's shooting at it i i pulled the trigger and i like just clipped the wing and you could tell you know you know pheasant hunt you clip the wing this bird hit the ground and i knew it was running sure it, it definitely hit the ground running so all the dogs go up there where where the bird fell and they're all kind of like doing circles and trying to find find this bird trying to be the first one to make a retrieve well, Cash just takes gets gets up there. He's the last dog there. He gets up there, finds a scent, and then he takes off running. And I'm like, I hope he's got that bird. <laughs> You're well, like, he's either going to Timbuktu or he's coming back with a bird. <laughs> yeah. So this bird, I watch, I watch the oh, kind of the path Cash is running, and I see the bird cross the road, cross the other ditch, go underneath the fence, and take off down this huge drainage this the bird is running cash is hot on his heels but he's about 50 yards behind it and uh yeah he's he's hauling full bore down this down this uh, drainage ditch deal um i got him on the gps at about a mile wow and damn it's about oh five five minutes or so goes by and i'm like yeah he he's either going to get it or he's going to run off. And, you know, at that point I'm kind of pissed at him anyway. So whatever. (laughs) I got him on the GPS. It goes five miles, whatever. Let's keep going. So we started walking again and then I looked down at the GPS and it says he's coming back. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this dog. Like I was just really frustrated. And I'm like, he, he wasn't, I was calling for him a few times in between there, you know, vibrating the collar, trying to get him to come back. He's not having it. So uh, he's coming back, and I look over, and he has got – I can just barely see him, and he's got this bird, and the bird is just looking around. You know, he's just carrying it ever so gently. The bird's looking around, and he is just rolling back to me, comes all the way back to me, swings into a heel. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I about broke out in tears because I wanted to shoot the dog four hours before. <laughs> And then, like, for him to do something, you know, make a make a mile long retrieve of a, you know, a wounded pheasant, like that's, I don't know, that was my favorite moment yeah. that I've ever had with that dog. Just he brings that back, and I, it's like, well, I forgive you for this morning. Like, that's I awesome, forgive man. you for everything. Good grief. That's awesome. Um, so, 
So with that kind of story, would that be like, uh, would that be, well, I don't know how to put it, but is that kind of how he was in training? Like he was more of an upland dog than a, a duck dog, or did he iron himself out through training and you teaching him and become a real nice duck dog? Or did he really excel in upland and just was okay at water? So he's, I'm not going to, I won't name any names here, but like when I had him as a puppy, I took him with the, with the trainer, with a trainer. And, uh, we went to some water and I watched, you know, their dogs work and he was maybe 12 weeks old. And my, my trainer at that point had picked my puppy up and threw him into the water. Um, All right. Yeah. And that's. So that's an old trainer, not that's, a. That's a t- yeah, let's take a stop right there. Pause your story. <laughs> don't do that. Yes, don't do that. A number one, don't do that. Please, don't pick them up and carry them in and set them down gently. Don't make them swim. They'll swim. I promise you. We were working with Covey on that this past weekend, trying to get her out there yeah. swimming. JC, Kevin's got a, uh, a probably a year-old English setter that's never been in the water, and he wants her to swim. Um, and we just coaxed her and teased her and, hey, you know, high-pitched voiced her. And it probably took five minutes, and all of a sudden, all oh. of, she's swimming. But, yeah, go on with your story, but I want everyone to hear how – somber my voice is if you do that to your dog i swear to god i will find you (laughs) and i will take you out it's like when people shoot guns around their dog too early like you can't have a gun dog afraid of guns and you can't have a duck dog afraid of water right it's you you just gotta do it right you can't can't chain your dog to a tree and just start shooting around it (laughs) uh not a good dog Dude, we did uh, last week's podcast. You, you know how many people sent me like, "Well, I shot bottle rockets around them and it worked out." I'm like, "You're in. You need to not do that, please, <laughs> in the nicest way possible." But go on. So anyway, so this trainer that you you know we're working with threw his young puppy butt into the water. Tell me what. Tell me how that went. Oh, it, I mean, it didn't go. It went as as you would expect it went um dog swam all the way to shore got out i mean got got on the shore shook off and didn't go anywhere near that body of water again um so fast forward a couple of years i buy uh i bought cash's littermate brother um and this dog loved the water like is an absolute freak for the water but now uh now what's that dog's name Hank. That's a good dog name. Yeah. He's a big black and white short hair. He's, he's the tank, Hank, the tank that rules. Um, but no, uh, that's kind of Cash's deal with, with water. That introduction, I mean, really screwed us up from, from the get go. Um, and that's, you know, just one of those things that not, not knowing any better, not knowing, uh, you know, maybe not, not knowing the trainer that I was with a little bit better. Um, you know, I'm not going to put all the, all the blame on, on him. You know, there's, I might've done it five times after that thinking, Oh, this pro did it. This is how you do it. Um, but you know, that's just another one of those things I had to, 
to work through. Like we had just a whole lot of massive failure on that, that front. Like I, I couldn't get him to retrieve from water for a long time. Um, but now, can I ask you real quick, how did you break through that bud? So his retrieve drive trumps his hatred for water. Bingo. So if he's got a mark, it doesn't matter really what, this is what I figured out. So after that, that day of duck hunting, you know, that I was really mad at him. I figured out that if cash has a mark, he's going and it doesn't matter what's standing in his way. It doesn't matter if it's freezing, freezing cold ice water or, you know, warm summer day. If he's got a mark, he's going to go make that retrieve. If he doesn't have a mark, you're not getting him to go in blind for anything. There's, there's no amount of force fetch that could force this dog into water gotcha. without a, without a mark. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we, we overcame that. I was just fortunate enough that he has an insane desire to retrieve. Um, and after we, you know, shot some dove and teal in the water, he was, he was all about it. Good, 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 good. You shooting dove over water too? Yeah. Really? Dove over like little cattle ponds and things like that out here. Oh man, that's cool. I didn't know people did that. So we, JC, I don't know if you know this, but it's illegal in New York to hunt doves. So unfortunately for us, we don't get to do it. Um, nah, you've done it down south well, though, haven't you? Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Okay. So when I lived in South Carolina, I got to dove hunt, and that was my first taste of it. But that was over sunflower field, you know, fields and cornfields, and so. But yeah, I'm not like, not like that. So that's still really cool. Yeah. So when you get a dry year out here, you can hunt. I mean, you find a little water hole, a little cattle pond, or something like that, and you can hunt dove over water. That's the best place to hunt them. Very cool. Um, so now that you got cash, man, and you're starting to roll, and you're learning, you're growing, you're training buddies' dogs. What was the what was it like to make that decision to be like, Psh, I'm gonna do this. Like, I, this is my dream. This is what I'm doing. How did that go for you? Well, I. Uh... I was a lineman. I was making really, really good money for a 22-year-old kid. Um, you know, just just shy of, just shy of, and then just above the six-figure mark. Um, as a, I mean, as a kid, so that was really, really, really good money. So I had all the money in the world, you know, to buy more dogs and training equipment, and I built a built a little kennel out behind my house and did all of those kind of things, and then. Uh, I realized I didn't have any time. Right. Um, I was starting to pick up in the guiding thing. Um, and that's really where, where the business aspect of it, like where, where I thought, you know, this is how I can start this. Um, the guiding thing was, was always my, uh, has always been my, my, my baby, my, my bread and butter. Like that's what I love to do. And when I can't guide and guide these bird hunts anymore i think i'll uh i think i'll probably just retire and expire i i don't mean to pause for a second i thought you were gonna say old yeller yourself <laughs> i was like, <laughs> I was like, like I, that's I aggressive i was going there but 
I thought you were going to be like, I was just take myself an old yeller here. <laughs> God, oh, man, that's terrible. I don't know. Sorry. Mm. But, <laughs> no, you're good. Dude, I so, all right, on that note, tell us about guiding because you, you have some spots for next fall. Tell people what you guide, how you guide, what's your forte, where you're at when you're guiding. Do yeah, you travel at all? Us. Yeah, so being right here in central Kansas, we're right in the like the best spot for the central flyway um, for waterfowl. Um, and then, the, I mean, we've got all the agriculture and not a ton of people. So it's the perfect, perfect breeding and nesting ground for all things bird. Um, everything with feathers, we've, we've got it in abundance. Um, so for guiding, I guide, uh, mostly it's upland bird hunts. Um, and then I, I'll take people out with, uh, some outfitter friends of mine that have, you know, waterfowl outfitters. Um, and we'll just kind of jump in where we fit in or we'll, you know, set it up on the schedule. But I usually do like a, like a two day upland hunt and then a one day of waterfowl so a three-day package um but yeah we we try to throw that one day of waterfowl right there in the middle um to kind of break up the the walking because there's we do i mean we'll put in about 15 miles on our feet out there in the grass um and what are you going after pheasants and quail so we've got a yeah ringneck pheasants and bobwhite quail What's your daily limits for that if you're putting in 15 miles? Uh, four roosters and eight quail. That's a hell of a so bag. Yeah, you have 12 birds in your bag by, by the time you're done. Now, don't don't take that to the bank. I've, I've had people like grab me off of off of a podcast. But, hey, I thought we were going to shoot 12 birds today. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. You hey, bro, you shot 100 that. rounds. Yeah. That's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, that's uh, that's really our our thing out here is just we're in the perfect spot for for all things wing shooting, um, and then I I'm into real estate now, so I've been you know helping people buy and sell you know waterfowl and bird hunting and hunting properties, um, yeah, just specializing in recreational properties. So that's kind of a a new world that the uh, the guiding side kind of opened up for me um and i'm loving loving that side as well good for um, you you've got a true entrepreneurial spirit really yeah i i uh yeah i do i i love i love the journey man good love every you. part of part of the struggle yeah well shit you don't have to tell me twice about that <laughs> <laughs> The struggle yeah. is real, but when you sit back and look at, like you said, the journey, the process, and and from day one till now, and figuring out growth and figuring out, you know, the do's and don'ts and how to grow a business, and you know, my biggest thing, you know, not to digress off of what we're talking about, but like, you know, if you're a good person. If you treat people right, if you work hard and you love what you do, whether that's a blacksmith or a dog trainer or an electrician or a plumber or a real estate guy, whatever that is, if that's your passion and you treat people right and you work hard, you're going to succeed. 
And I think, you know, looking at what you've built through your businesses, like the, the kennel, the guiding, you're now into real estate too. Like you have to like what you do. You have to enjoy it every day or the process and the journey is not going to be worth the energy and output because it's not easy. None of it is easy. And I think people yeah. think it is. They're, uh, you've, yeah, you've got to enjoy the, you've got to be obsessed with whatever you're doing. Like if you're, if you're wanting to do something, um, if you're wanting to strike out on your own. So I get, I get a lot of feedback from this. Um, each, each podcast that I've done, you know, on the various different podcasts, I get a lot of feedback just on, on this subject in general. Um, you know, just the, just the spirit of, of starting something. And man, I, I would love to start something. I would love to do that. And everybody's got ideas and everybody's got, you know, these, these things that we can sit around and talk about until our faces are blue. Um, but who's actually going to do them? Right. Like, are you, are you actually going to do it? Cause I have no interest in, in talking with you and, and I have no interest in helping you until you've started until you've, you know, made that commitment and, you know, put all of your time, effort and energy into one thing. Um, it, it's really hard for me to, to, you know, help someone else until they're, they're helping themselves. And it's just the execution of it. My big thing is execution. Like we're, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Yeah. And I don't care what it takes to, to do it. If we said we would do it, we're going to do it. And if we can't do it, we are going to admit that we cannot do it. Yeah. But, no, I feel that. And I think that's a really like, I don't know, adult, mature way of looking at it, especially from a business standpoint. Um, but speaking of like doing, what did you get into today for some training? Uh, we were doing force fetch today. We're running through uh, about eight dogs. And I'm taking a lot of credit for this. Uh, Brandon Mendez, he's, he's my trainer out here now. Um, he's kind of taken over the, the day to day. And I was thinking about having him jump on here one of these days with me, but, uh, yeah, we've, we've been doing force fetch. We've got, uh, about, about 12 dogs in for training right now. We've got myself and my brother Corbin and Brandon. I mean, we all, we all train hundred hours a week, um, with, you know, 12 dogs. So, we kind of keep our, our kennel. That's how I like to run things. Now it's a lot more expensive than, than most places, but that's kind of how we, we like to do things is, you know, keep the quality extremely high and keep the quantity at a minimum. Very good. Talk to, talk to us about your training program. What does that look like for your clients? Time frames, you know, if I if I called you today and said, "Hey, bud, I got a six month old short hair. I'm sending to you. You have an opening. What's your time frame? What are you doing? What is the end product after your program?" Well, I think uh, you guys know the the spiel, if you will. But um, yeah, time frames are it, for us. It's all about the value for for our clients. So we've got. The, three trainers here we're all we're all hands-on we're doing this all all the time if you called me today and said hey I, i've got this dog i want to send you i'm gonna put you on our waiting list 
get a deposit from you and you're going to wait three to nine months before you can send your dog in. So if you want to get a dog in with us, definitely want to call now well in advance. (laughs) Um, But no, our, our training program. So I've doing, doing what we've been doing. All I've done with my training philosophy and, you know, I program, if you will, is I've, I've just kind of ran around and found the best people in the industry. And I'm not talking about the best people on social media, you know, the ones with the most followers or anything like that. I'm talking about the ones that are actually producing these incredible dogs at the highest level. Um, and I, I say that because I don't typically see the best of the best on any social media platform. Um, you're, you can't, call them you can't even you have to like show up at their kennel and say hey i'm here to scoop poop for a week if you will uh let me watch you and teach me something sure Um, so that's really how i've developed all of my uh, programs is just going to the best of the best at each each individual thing and and learning from them um as well as you know having having to fix my own screw-ups <laughs> so who did who do you, i mean do you mind if i ask who did you mentor like who are some of those people i'd be interested to hear yeah so in the beginning i've i've mentored i mean i've i literally feel like i've been been to most of the better versatile gun dog training kennels in the united states um i've been up to uh you know wisconsin um Minnesota. Um, there's a lot of really, really great kennels out there. A lot of really awesome trainers. Um, Clyde Vetter, sharpshooter kennels. I've kind of, I call him, he's the guy that I call now with any questions about breeding or dogs and things like that. Um, also Grouse Point kennels up there in Wisconsin. Um, learned a lot from him. Um, there's so many, man. I've, there's so many kennels that I've ran, ran around and just kind of picked through their program. I mean, it's not a, yeah. not exactly not a shot for shot remake of what they do, but, uh, you know, like I like the way Clyde does force fetch. So I learned, I like the way his dogs look when they, you know, return to a heel, you know, and present their birds. And I like that. So I was like, I want to see how you do this. Sure. Um, and then he's, he's at the top of the, the game as far as, you know, NAVDA North American versatile hunting dog association, as far as their testing program. I mean, a lot of the guys I've learned from are at the very, very top of that, that game. Um, so I've just tried to mimic and mentor under the people that are the best in the industry. Um, and I mean, I'm doing the same thing now with, with real estate. It's, it's all, I try to find whoever's doing this the best and whoever I think I can, I can learn the most from and, uh, you know, develop my own little way that works for me and run with it. Yeah. That's a similar um, way of how I learned too, man. Like when I started Lone Duck, I was selling t-shirts and hats out of the back of my truck and I would take a vacation from my day job and spend a week you know, Saturday, Sunday, I would be at a hunt test selling. Monday through Friday, I'd be 
learning, watching, asking questions, training my own dog, and watching. And then Saturday, Sunday, sell my gear at the Nexon test, and then I drive home. And for four or five years, that's how I was mentored under some of the best tutelage, you know, really on the East Coast and then a little bit out into the Midwest. And and then I got lucky enough to to work for somebody uh, for almost a year, nine, nine or ten months and and hone that skill even more, which I would highly recommend for anybody who wants to do this is actually do it actually feel the grind and do the grind and make sure that yep. this is what you want out of life. Um, but, but really, you know, learn, be a sponge. I'm still learning every day yep. I learn and every day that I get an opportunity to go train with someone who's better than me, I take it because like you Absolutely. said, even if I'm scooping poop, you know, I guess I don't do that. Well, no, that's a lie. <laughs> I pick up yeah. dogs. You scooped the hell out of that poop. I'm, I am <laughs> efficient at poop scooping. We, we all pick up a lot of poop. But sure. I was just going to say, like, literally, I, I'm, I'm training with my buddy Blaine in Georgia, and I got my dogs aired. We're all good. He's airing his dogs. I'm picking up crap for him because it helps him. Right. You know, yeah. and it's like I'm willing to pick up that shovel and spray out kennels and do this, that, and the other thing just to make us both more efficient so that we can get to work and grind and Man, learn. And I mean, that dude, is a perfect point. Like, I've got, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, Go you're ahead. good, sorry. dude. Sorry, I'm getting excited. So I get, <laughs> there's, I'm sure you have the same thing. You have people call and they're like, hey, I want to come out there and I want to train with you. Or, hey, I want to, I want to be a part of what you're doing. What can I do? Like, my advice to those people is bring the value, show the value first. Like don't, don't call and ask me for a job. Call and tell me what you're good at. Sure. Like, come, come out here. Oh, Hey, I'm, I'm good at painting. I can paint that fence for you. Like if you provide that value for me and freeze me up from having to paint a fence, hell yeah. I'm, I'm all kinds of game to, to take you out and help you with your bird dog. Um, yep. I mean, that's, Brandon, Brandon's my, you know, my main trainer out here. He's been with me for two years now. He's, he showed up out here and he just didn't leave. Yeah. So I had to start paying him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. But he just showed up out here and I mean, he didn't ask for a job. If he would ask for a job, I'm like, no, dude, I don't have, I don't have a job. There's, what am I going to do? But you know, now that we're so busy, we get people that call and just provide the value on the front end, you know, like when I show up at someone else's kennel, like you were saying, like, I'm going to go out, like maybe I haven't even maybe talked to the person, but I'm going to go out there. I see a poop bucket and a scoop. They're on the phone. I'm going to go out there and start doing something to, exactly. to provide my value on the front end. Because if I ask them, Hey, what do you need me to do? And I don't tell them what I'm good at or what I can do or what I'm willing to do right there. Then they have to, use their brain and like think uh what can i have you do then then it's a job for them exactly yeah um, just stand there you're good just grab a chair no i agree i mean dude i i 100 agree but i think the whole point you and i are both getting at is we all start from ground zero and with one dog or no dogs hey if you <laughs> don't even have a dog yet and you you love this and love the idea of it find a local retriever club find a local trainer, 
and help. Help throw yes. birds. Learn how to ride a four-wheeler and shoot a blank pistol and throw birds. How to plant birds. How to set pigeon traps. You know, how to do whatever it is. Whatever your little passion is, go in there and help. And, and then be a sponge. And then when you think you know everything, you don't. So you're more of a sponge. And you're going to get kicked in the gut. And you've got to learn even more. That's when you get bit. <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. You know what What I think is really cool? All right, cool? no, time out, time out. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about getting bit. Tell me your worst bite story, and I'll tell you mine. <laughs> this has got to be like a, a recurring thing. This has got to be Yeah, like, this is this new. This is uh, what, what's biting at us segment. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, new, <laughs> new Lone Duck Gun Dogs Chronicle. What's biting your ass? <laughs> All right, go ahead. What's your best bite story? Uh, force fetch, Labrador retriever. Nice. Yeah, not a not a well bred one, but Labrador retriever. Eh, it might have been mixed. I don't know. Um, working through working through an ear pinch. Um, dog. My. So our force fetch, we we kind of force the dog to to something we don't like to you know keep him chained up and held in a steady position so in our in our style of force fetch we keep him moving so we're always always moving up up a ramp down a ramp always moving so i ear pinch a dog and they go they'll throw wood chips off of the ramp and go after a bumper a bird anything like that gotcha. so i have a dog i have this big black lab i pinch his ear fetch and he does the the sit and uh flips me the bird deal yep um he's like nope i'm not doing that so i'm pinching harder and pinching harder and pinching harder and finally he like screams and my hand has a bumper in it but uh <laughs> he goes after um uh, he might have been going after the bumper and my in my infinite wisdom, I got my arm up there in the way. <laughs> and so that was the first thing for him to grab a hold of. And because he's, you know, just trying to get the pressure to release. Sure. He, uh, yeah, he's, he'd chomp down on my arm and then, uh, he didn't, he didn't want to let go after that. I got oh, you. Oh, <laughs> so he did, was, did, so he was on hold. Yeah. Did you rub him <laughs> under the chin and say, good hold? <laughs> Uh, it was something like that. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> All right, so, so I, my, I got my uh, I got my arm out of there, and he nicked my tendon and chipped the the bone. Oh, oh boy! All right, you went on injury. You went on injury. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So no no limits insurance. Got, got a good one that day. <laughs> no, no, I did finish that that session though. Like I did grind Damn that right. out for another five minutes, and like was able to like get my composure about me and you know finish that finish that session we actually finished on a really really good note um but as soon as i was done i almost passed out in the shop like no way almost just passed out right there i lost a lot of blood dude all right so that's really that a fun, fun. One. <laughs> all right you went <laughs> yeah all right you 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 definitely went on injury so <laughs> my worst bite was like I've been bit during force fetch, you know, kind of similar story or a dog like whips their head around and like 
is just reacting. They're not thinking. Yep. The worst bite. I was, this is when I got home from South Carolina. I was doing a lot of obedience work because it paid the bills. Like I had to eat. So I was saying yes to everybody and every dog. (laughs) And this lady calls me up. It was a referral. And she goes, I have a, I'm going to make it up, but he was old. An eight-year-old Rhodesian Ridgeback that is aggressive. And I'm and I'm like you, dude. I've read every Caesar Milan book. I wear I read I watch all his shows and I've now trained a bunch of dogs. Like I kinda know my way around, body language, calm, Those are submissive. no joke dogs though. Well yeah, they freaking hunt lions. <laughs> I so, was gonna ask you, can you explain yes. like what those dogs are? So first of all, Google Rhodesian Ridgeback. But the lion hound. But they're a lion hound in Africa, so they would they had the endurance to chase down lions long enough until the lion was tired, and then they'd attack the lion and hold it. <laughs> like, they're bad sons of guns, okay? So anyways, this Rhodesian Ridgeback is old as heck. Old. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I need, we need to stop censoring ourselves. We're being really nice, but old as heck. <laughs> and aggressive. So... What he would do is bite people as they came in the house and bite people as they left. Once you got in the house, you were good. So yeah, but I, he let them know. Hold on, now time out, time out. So now I'm training him. This is like my yeah, third. Don't you forget. Right. This is my third session with this dog. In the first two sessions, I'm unscathed. I've got him walking nicely on lead. He respects me. We're good. He looks to me as a leader. He went in a follower position. He's cool. I'm thinking, like, these people are nuts. Like, this dog's not bad at all. So, third session, we show up. Oh, and they had a Labrador puppy that they wanted me to train. So, I'm like, yeah, I'll get the puppy. I'm going to make bank. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Not. So, (laughs) I get to the house. I pull in. They walk both dogs, a little puppy and this Rhodesian Ridgeback out. I shake the owner's hand. How you doing? Good to see you. And we're standing in the driveway just talking. He's sitting down next to them. Cool as a cucumber. No negative vibes. Whammy. He had my hand in his mouth <laughs> like alligator Steve Irwin <laughs> death, death roll. roll. <laughs> and and I, I still have scars all over my hand from it. And I get my hand out, and the lady's like, oh, my God, that's the worst I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, (laughs) shit. At least you paid me. So I go inside, and I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay, guys. Like, I'm trying to be professional. It's okay. You know, we'll we'll work through this. Nobody panic. (laughs) Nobody Nobody panic. I got it. You know, so I'm like, don't don't sweat it. You know, just hang out for a second. I'm going to wash my hand. I go in, I start getting woozy. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta sit down. So I, I'm like, oh, where's your bathroom? She's like, over here. I'm like, all right, I'll just wash my hands in the bathroom. I went in, sat on the toilet, put my head in my hands. I'm like, I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like near passing out, get myself, because mainly from shock. Like, yeah. If I get bit and I can read the dogs nervous or fearful or straight up aggressive, and you get nabbed, 
it's you're kind of ready for it. But when you're like just saying hi and he's cool and you're just standing there and I mean, I'm telling you, he ripped the heck out of me and uh, I, I I got woozy <laughs> and I've been like knocked out a bunch. I'm you know, I can handle it. This was this was different next level. So uh, hence from that point forward, I realized I'd rather eat peanut butter and jelly than take on aggressive Rhodesian Ridgebacks. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've had uh, I've had something similar with a German Shepherd. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, I actually really love Shepherds, but dude, no matter what, and I'm sure there's a zillion great Rhodesian Ridgebacks. He just happened to be a dink. <laughs> now you had a good one in college. What have you Me? ever talked about? Yeah, you had sort of yours you oh my german shepherd yeah tell that story that's a good one yeah all right sorry so jc just hang on tight we'll keep digressing <laughs> even deeper down this crazy rabbit yeah, hole why not right so um so uh, oh man so my first dog was just for you jc my first dog and kevin's first dog was a chocolate lab uh nelson phenomenal family dog had zero obedience he was naughty i know kevin's chiming in super naughty <clears throat> sorry uh phenomenal phenomenal is tough he would he run would, away and we'd have no, to drive around a, and be yeah, like you want a no, cookie he was an embarrassment he was a phenomenal dog in the sense of he was our first dog and we love him and he definitely sent both of us on the path of being extremely like loving dog people and in the dog world and community and whatever but yeah. he didn't to listen. say he was in a phenomenal dog is but <laughs> he listen jc he used to jump he was huge he was a hundred pound just muscle bound chocolate lab big man and he used to just tackle us and steal our winter hats and gloves and then run away so far that we'd have to drive down the neighborhood and find him yeah phenomenal may not be the right word well anyways he was phenomenal memorable yeah he was phenomenal in my mind so then uh i get to college and it's just not the right time for me to get a dog but my college roommate, my senior year, his dad bred show dog German Shepherds. He was a police officer in the NYPD. Phenom- like awesome people, man. And his dogs were studs. And so his name's Dennis. Dennis calls me up. It's like Christmas break. And he's like, my dad has a litter that's ready to go home. And he said, we can have one. I'm like, done. I'll help you. Bingo. Free yeah. dog. Free dog, right? I'm like, done. Bring him to school. I'll train him. You know, we're we're good. And at this point, I'm a senior. Kevin's a freshman at the same college. So we get this dog. We're all huge Bruce Springsteen fans. So we name him Boss. So, you know, pretty sweet. German <laughs> short or German Shepherd named Boss. Well, Boss, honest to God, he really was awesome. He he was great. Boss man. Super smart, loyal, friendly. Chicks dug him. That didn't hurt. <laughs> no, not a bad deal. He was a good dog, though. He had a good, I mean, just good-looking shepherd, really. Yeah, really nice, friendly, easygoing, high energy, but not in a, you know, so, not neurotic at all. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I don't know where this story is going to go, but Boss was a really good dog. Where didn't did have you... to go anywhere, just he was a damn fine dog, and I feel like I've heard you say many times that because German Shepherds, because you can have a 
dog from a breeder that is very intelligent in their the ability that they have or could have is just so high that it would be really fun to oh, train something. I know where I was going with this. Sorry, sorry, Kevin. Yeah. So boss. So anyways, Dennis's dad is is like us, man. You get a nice dog. Sometimes you can't keep them. X, Y, and Z. So you flip dogs. You sell them, right? Like you buy buy and sell started dogs. You sell finished dogs, right? So he's no different. So Den, Dennis goes home. And I graduate college, and Dennis calls me in the summertime. He's like, hey, man, I got bad news. My dad sold boss. I'm like, what? I'd have bought him. You know, damn. I'm like, where did he go? And he's like, oh, he's in Hawaii. He's going to be a stud dog in Hawaii. I'm like, well, he's got a better life than me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, dude's got getting laid, getting laid. Yeah. In, in they, Hawaii. I didn't hear a – does Kevin have a, have a good uh, ass bit story? No, Kevin's never been bit. No, no, I I do not have a good uh, getting bit story. Not yet, at least. No, no, not yet. But oh, I've been you. bit by some of the obedience dogs that have been. No, at you haven't. Sure have. Remember no, don't tell my insurance company. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> no, uh, no good ones worth telling, at least. Yeah. Now, d- truthfully, dude, we don't. You know, from you really, from, don't do, yeah, you really don't yeah, do that from anymore. a force fetch standpoint. That stuff to me is kind of incidental. It, it it's super rare. In fact, it's been I don't know two years since I've gotten nipped, and I don't even call it biting. Like there's like bite to hurt you and bite to try and turn pressure off and maybe yeah. nip out of fear or something like that. I'm I don't even. And this is going to sound like a jerk. I don't mean to sound like this, but like we're doing pretty good business wise. So we don't need to take any of those dogs. And I'm not putting any of my clients, clients, family members or client dogs in a position where you got a dog that has that tendency. So, you know, it's just not frequent, luckily yeah. anymore. Yeah. Well, those I mean, I kind of. I kind of say it as uh, those are the dogs for the the new guys. You know, we've kind of we've, <laughs> we've kind of stepped up. You know, I had to I'd take those crazy German shepherds that would bite any and every one or thing in their path. And yeah, I think uh, I think it's just part of uh, part of growing as a dog trainer. You got to take those those dogs and probably get paid two hundred dollars for the month or something. Yeah, and you're happy about it. Well, and truthfully, I mean, it teaches you a lot about dogs, teaches you about body language, about um, how a dog <laughs> thinks and, and why a dog reacts to certain things. And, and yeah. you know, some and, of those dogs that were very difficult to handle taught me more than the easy ones. I mean, that's that's part of it. Yeah, learn more from the struggle than from the success. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Where Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah well, make money <laughs> off that one. Now, JC, I wanna I wanna ask kind of maybe like shift gears away from ass biting, but uh, <laughs> man, so you do a lot of guiding, you do a lot of uh, uh, I'm sure personal hunting and all that fun stuff. But like, what kind of gun are you out shooting when you're out guiding, or eh, maybe not guiding, but when you're out hunting? So I have a, you, we've met, you know, I have this this long neck and long face. So <laughs> well, I wasn't really measuring you but yeah <laughs> the uh the browning a5 is the gun i shoot the best um just that that hump back i don't have to 
Yeah, I love my Browning A5. I take that. Everybody's kind of snobby about double guns and 20 gauges, 410s, and the uplands. Now, I'll carry my little bit heavier Browning A5 everywhere. So it's 12 gauge A5? Yes, sir. Nice. So that was one of my dream guns. So I grew up, or grew up, you know, whatever. I had an 870 for probably 10 years that I hunted with, and all I wanted was a humpback, the old A5. And I went to an old gun shop looking to buy an A5, and I got convinced to buy a Browning Satori over and under, which... (laughs) I really couldn't be more like that is my number one. It's a good gun. Dude, I shoot the hell out of it. And that's the gun I carry upland hunting, duck hunting, goose hunting. If I'm shooting anything, it's with that. But I've still had this hankering for the A5. And I was at a gun show this winter and I passed on a 20 gauge light 20 A5. And I left and it ate me up inside. (laughs) <laughs> and then I got a phone call from a client like, hey, man, uh, so-and-so, we got to go out of town. His name's Max, Scruffy Max. Rest in peace. Uh, he, he, he gone. Um, sad story we'll get into maybe in another podcast, but Scruffy Max is no longer with us. But um, I had to babysit him for like two weeks. So they handed me cash money for almost the same amount as that A5. I'm like, this is a sign. I need to yeah. go buy it. So I turned around, drove, I picked Scruffy Max up. We drove to the gun show and bought the A5. <laughs> but I love that gun, man. It's sweet. Yeah, man. I, I love it. I carry it everywhere. I didn't know I could actually shoot until I got an A5. Really? Yeah. So how'd you learn to shoot then? I'm same thing as everything else just trial and error just keep trying keep trying keep trying keep trying keep throwing lead out there yeah hey that's how i started hitting things figured it out yeah i think there's going and doing sporting clays and shooting clay birds and then there's actually hunting and having the adrenaline of seeing a bird come in or a bird flush and having the composure to pull the trigger and hit it yeah no, I couldn't. I couldn't shoot sporting clays to save my life, but I can shoot pigeons without looking at them. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you're training your dogs, and then we'll, we're almost to our our time frame, but when you're training your dogs, um, I'm assuming. Well, I guess tell us about your bird situation: homing pigeons, chucker, quail. How do you work them through your training program? Yeah, so you have to have have to have homing pigeons to train pointing dogs for sure. Um, I, I like homing pigeons for training retrievers on steadiness and yeah, homing pigeons, best thing ever. Um, homing pigeons. And we, sh- we have ducks, quail, chucker, pheasants kind of got a little bit of every, every kind of bird. Um, yeah, we do it all. So, I mean, I'm, we're training, retriever stuff like right now we're doing mostly train retrieve force fetch stuff um we we're kind of training a little bit of everything um so we don't get we really don't get stagnant on on anything um and then having you know having so many awesome clients we were able to uh kind of group everybody together like hey june july august that's going to be force fetch retrieving retrieving dog stuff um, 
and then we'll you know we'll train some puppies and starter stuff whatever else needs needs done in the meantime but we try to keep the bulk of everybody on the on the same page very cool Um, gotcha all right i don't know if you follow lone ducks stories as frequently as some people do but i've got homers that (laughs) we're not good with them i need guidance man i need guidance so i bought a bunch of pigeons from this dude super nice guy and um young birds i bought i think 30 of them and my first round of homers didn't pan out they sucked they wouldn't fly they were fat they were lazy they were good for shooting (laughs) but not for homing they get most of them got picked off by hawks and i loved it old stubby (laughs) there was one without a leg his name was was stubby it was fantastic there was one without i'm guessing kevin didn't pay for him no no oh god no that's That's why why i love it he's laughing that's why i love it yeah my money not his (laughs) <laughs> so, so anyways, old stubby didn't make it. We had a couple ones that didn't have any eyeballs. Long story short. You got absolutely had. I'm sure the guy was a very nice gentleman. Yeah, what no. But you got was, stubby no. and eyeless. All right, birds. this is gonna be my PSA. <laughs> Palmetto pigeon in Sumter, South Carolina <laughs> says that these pigeons will home. I promise you they won't. So <laughs> if you want pigeons to shoot, go and get them. If you want pigeons at home, get somewhere else. But anyways, I'm back in New York, and I bought 30 pigeons off a guy in Craigslist. And he had all young birds, and he had a whole group of, you know, barn pigeons, homing pigeons, kind of fancy pigeons. And they all had, like, pairs, and they were breeding, and and he was very knowledgeable about them, right? So I bought 30. Bring it back to my coop. It's not a huge coop. It's not very small either. And we're building it out for them to home and, and get it right. Several are starting to die. Talk to me about <laughs> taking a loss. Like, I tear up every time I see one. I'm like, $7. $7 yeah. just died. That's a six-pack. <laughs> yeah. Six-pack of bush light. <laughs> no, man. We actually, uh, we've actually been having a lot of a lot of problems here recently, too. Just, I lost a, a really awesome flock of about... 50 homing pigeons Oof. last this last winter um and some coons and hawks i had i think every predator that could get into my pen broke in and took a handful of birds but no like the the sickness sickness stuff you can get it there's like a probiotic stuff that you can get like a tractor supply um put it in there mix it in their water so like electrolytes probiotic that kind of stuff and is then it, they have a. Is it for pigeons? Is it for like game birds and chickens and stuff? So you're saying you give them yeah, water? Yeah, for then. everything. And then, uh, yeah, get a high protein, high fat, um, you know, like a, a chick starter or, uh, you know, a feather grower or it's like we call it game bird starter out here. Purina makes a game bird starter. Okay. It's, it's awesome. Okay. Um, so we saves got, a lot of birds. So I've got a wild game bird feed i intermix it with wild bird seed and then i also bought like a chicken food and i'm telling you i think some of them are dying from starvation like when they when they're laying there their empty gut uh crop is empty and their chest plate is very thin and so i don't know if they're sick 
and that's why they're not eating and that's why they're dying. Are they going to make my other ones sick? Or, you know, is it too many pigeons in one coop? Like, I'm just, I'm literally troubleshooting, man. And, you know, A, it's an investment, but B, I need them to survive and fly. So I'm trying to get this thing honed in. Any, like, thoughts? Put it, put one of your dead ones in a plastic bag, take it to your vet and have them send it off. Oh, damn. (laughs) They'll, it's like, I don't know how much, how much it costs out there, but it's like, $50 $50 or something and they'll tell you if they're if they died of what they died of basically doing an autopsy on a pigeon of all things I'd never ever would have thought I'd ever do an autopsy on a pigeon but here we are um, nice no, take, well no, that's a really good idea dude I would spend $50 to save the whole flock I mean they're all look healthy and they're all the right you know right thing and I need them so you know sacrifice one for the rest of the crew I guess well, not even sacrifice if one. I mean, if they're <laughs> yeah, you don't have to dispatch. Kinda, one, yeah, you don't have to dispatch any. <laughs> if they're kind of going, just wow. I almost I wait did, until I've one been, goes. I've been using them for puppy training, but yeah, no, I I will definitely do that if another one croaks. But you know, no, we we've I think we all deal with that at some some level. There's sometimes we buy buy birds, and it's like those. Those ones Kevin was talking about, those big, fat, eyeless, like, birds that can't fly seem to home like nobody's business. And then the $20 a piece homing pigeons won't come anywhere near the coop or they die as we're trying to grow them up. Um, yeah, that, I don't know. I'm hoping for the best because I've just had bad luck and – you know, some of my buddies who run pointers around me that we kind of, we all work together and use each other's pigeons. Like, um, that's who I've been leaning on while we've been home. While these ones get used to the coop and take time to recalibrate themselves. But, you know, this weekend actually is, is, uh, like three and a half weeks where they've been in that coop. So I'm going to start flying them in the yard this weekend and see how it goes basically. But I need them to survive. You know, I'll get you hooked up with my with my brother, and uh, he's he's been doing all kinds of research that, that he's out here probably right now doing some goofy stuff with our homing pigeons. Like he's made a, a like a bird box that they have to walk out of this box to go through the bobs and go eat, um, and then he's like starving them all day, and they only get you know fifteen minutes at night to eat. Gotcha. If they if they don't whatever they don't eat gets pulled and just kind of keep them hungry and then he's only flying them thirty minutes before sunset that way they won't mess around in the dark they'll get get back to the house so yeah I, I you know old Google I I read that too and but I feel like they're diving from starvation so I've been feeding them up a storm to like build strength before this upcoming like release. Um, yeah, trying to get some protein packed pigeons, That's some right. whey protein. <laughs> yeah, beef them up. Um, <laughs> steroid action. Cool, man. Cool. Well, dude, yeah. hour and thirteen minutes just flew by. Kevin and I enjoyed your stories and conversation and knowledge. Do me a favor. Tell our followers how they can follow you, and maybe you give yourself a little bit of a plug on. Your guiding, your training, any puppies, anything you got, lay it out there, bud. 
So you can find us uh, at No Limits Kennels um, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, find us find us there. Uh, NoLimitsKennels.com is the website. Hop on there. Shoot me an email if you have a question. Um, yeah, we've got oh, maybe three weeks left of hunting season to book. Um, if you're wanting to come come out on a guided hunt with just strictly wild birds upland and the waterfowl yeah get a hold of me be happy to have you that's awesome well save save us a date buddy we might have to sneak in and sleep on a couch yeah you guys uh yeah we'll uh we'll definitely get together Heck we yeah, talked man. about that up there at the at the derby with you canuba yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. We definitely got to do it. I would love to come down and see what you got going on, man. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, you ever come out this way by us? For what reason? Oh, <laughs> smart guy. Uh, I see what you're saying. You ever uh, get in any rough grouse? Uh, yeah, out in Wyoming. Very cool. Hmm. Very cool. Opposite well, side of us. Well, man, <laughs> hey, listen, J.C. Bosch, No Limits Kennels. Get a hold of them. Follow them on Instagram. That's To me, that's the easiest way to follow people. So check them out. Send them a direct message if you're interested in dog training and getting on the wait list. If you're interested in this fall and hunting Kansas on wild birds, he's the man to talk to. JC, thank you for being a part of our podcast and being on our show, man. Thank you. Hey, Yeah, thank you guys. Bob, Kevin, you guys are great. Appreciate Thanks for having it, me. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. We'll chat with you later. Yes, sir. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.